Uh, our scripture reading today is uh, taken from Proverbs chapters 1, 3, 13, 18, 22, and 27. Uh, you were emailed the reading, and if you weren't, we have some hard copies in the back for you. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. For the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Toward the scorners, he is scornful, but to the humble, he gives favor. The wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. This is God's word. Well, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Amen? We are in our second week of discovering how to raise up the next generation in wisdom as we seek the ancient, unequaled wisdom of the Hebrew scriptures, the wisdom literature of the book of Proverbs. And you heard us say today, uh, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8, hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. So one aspect of your child's life that, that you passionately want to influence is their friend choices, right? You, you just want to make sure they make good decisions about the crowds that they run with. And uh, how do you nudge them, though, towards healthy influences? Um, you know, w without saying, you know, and embarrassing them, hey, I want this person to be your best friend. And, you know, like, without doing that, how do you nudge your kids towards healthy friend choices? And, and how do you protect them from bad friends, from, from, from bad, in at least from bad influences? Christians, we are, we are called to love our neighbor, even to love our enemies. But you know that as a parent or a grandparent or an educator, uh, there's more of a subtle task. We're to, we are to love everyone, but we can't be best friends with everyone. And, and even though we are to love everyone, not everyone is going to be a healthy influence upon your children, 
right? And so we need wisdom. And what did we say? How did we define wisdom last week? We said wisdom is skill for making good choices that glorify God. So really, as your children grow, uh, as they mature into older children and bigger human beings, and as they become adults, they must learn how to make good choices. Your task as a parent or a caregiver or an educator is to prepare a child to be able to make good choices on her own, to have the discernment he needs to know a good friend from a bad influence. You, let's be honest, you choose your two-year-old's friends. It's just that simple. You choose your two-year-old's friends, but don't try to choose your 12-year-old's friends, right? I, I, one of our sons, uh, in one particular year, and I think in about like a three-month, three to four-month period, basically in a season, one of our sons, three things happened to him all at once. He hit puberty. We made the colossal mistake of letting him buy an iPhone. Uh, that is the last time we allowed a child of ours to acquire a smart device while they were going through puberty. Okay, so hits puberty, is allowed to buy an iPhone, and um, the last thing was, you know, he, he, he developed a, kind of a bad friend, like somebody we love, but somebody that was just a bad influence on him. So it was that, that was the trifecta. It was a perfect storm. So bad influence, iPhone, puberty in like three months. It was the perfect storm of uh, parent-child struggle, rage, misery, all that stuff. And, and, and we discovered, you know, the more, the more as parents we tried to control that friendship, the more anxiety we had, the more, the more that anxiety rubbed off on our child, and the harder it was to manage and parent through the whole situation. Uh, we also discovered that the more we, we focused primarily on prayer and, and focused more on our child and not the relationship, we gave more attention to our child and not on that relationship and bathed the whole thing in prayer, um, the less anxious we were as parents and that trickled down to our child uh, and that ended up in impacting the relationship long-term in a more positive way. It's tricky because you want your children to love everybody and to be kind to everyone and to serve everyone and to be salt and light to everyone and yet you, you have to discern when is the world rubbing off more on my child than my child is rubbing off more on the world, right? So a refrain you're going to hear again and again in our series, and I'll, I'll apply it to different aspects of raising up the next generation, uh, is something actually that psychologist uh, James Cofield talks about. He says that if you look at a person, if you look, if you look at a person, who they are and their, their life, their history, what they're doing, what they've done, you, you can kind of uh, divide them up into three pieces if their life were like a pie. He says 40% of who a person is is just their God-given nature. Biology, genetics, it's who they are, it's how God made them, it's who they are in a sinful world. There's nothing, you, you can't change who a person is. 
Another 40% of who a person is is nurture, how they're treated, how people interact with that person, how others have influenced that person. And then the last 20% of an individual is the choices they make, how they respond, how they react to their own nature and to others' nurture of them. 40% nature, 40% nurture, 20% choices, which means 40% is just who they are and you can't change that. And you have to know who they are. 40% is how you interact with them and how you help shepherd them and, and, and help develop them like a gardener instead of like a carpenter, which is what we talked about last week. But there's 20% of a child that has everything to do with the choices that they make, how they react and how they respond to the world in which they live, to how God made them, and to how you interact with them. And so when you look at that, you go, I, I don't know what to think of this. And then James Cofield said, and this was so encouraging to me, if you do the math, this means that 60% of who a child is, you can work with. That when you look at the makeup of a person, more than half of who that person is and what they're about is something you can work with. And that's discipleship. This means that 60%, and, and let's not be scientific, this is just to help us understand what's going on. 60% of what a person is, of who a child is, is something you can work with. And that's where discipleship comes in. And so the Proverbs say in chapter 13, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. So today we're gonna to talk about choosing friends. We're gonna talk about how to help young people make good friend and acquaintance choices. And the Proverbs show us that true friends help us glorify God. They help us glorify God by helping us become wise. And we're gonna talk about the friendship that God defines in the book of Proverbs, but we're also gonna talk about the friendship that God provides for us if we're paying attention in this life as Christ followers. If you're not a Christ follower, I hope you listen because this is just really good practical wisdom for anybody. So not only the wisdom that, uh, the, the friendship that God defines, but the friendship that God provides. And finally, we're gonna talk about the friend that God is to us himself. The friendship he defines, the friendship he provides, and the friend that he is to us himself, the most amazing thing of all. So the Proverbs define both false friends and true friends. False friendship and true friendship. Let's talk about false friends first. Um, false friends are described in various ways. Uh, when you read the Old Testament, you see it in the lives of the patriarchs and the kings and you know, all sorts of people, you, you, the Canaanites and the Israelites. You learn what false friendship is by watching and reading about it, but the Proverbs define all different types of false friendships. There is one Hebrew word that can be translated various ways. The same Hebrew word for friend is also the Hebrew word for neighbor. It's the Hebrew word for neighbor and acquaintance and um, 
I'm looking for it, companion. Okay, and how translators adapt that Hebrew word into English or other languages, it depends on the context. Uh, the word, uh, it's translated friend when it's used in a positive sense in scripture, but it's translated companion, neighbor, acquaintance, when it's being used in a neutral sense or even a bad sense, okay? Same word, but it depends on the context. It could mean friend, it could mean neighbor, it could mean companion, associate, uh, but it, it could be a bad influence or it could be a neutral influence. Lots of different ways. Okay, so we're gonna talk about um, the bad kind of companion and the neutral kind of companion. The bad kind of companion is really easy to spot. Uh, you see it in places like Proverbs chapter three. Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. What does that mean? Don't be a scammer, don't be a cheat. Don't hoodwink your neighbors. They trust you. Don't take advantage of them. Goes on to say, do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Now that's a bully. Not a schemer, a bully. Don't attack somebody who doesn't deserve it. Don't bother and, and inflict your will upon somebody who, who's an innocent bystander. And then it finally says, do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. So you put all that together and, and we, we say we, we do not want our children to envy the wrong kind of people. We don't want them to envy scammers and cheats and we don't want them to envy bullies. Because bullies get their way in life by dominating. But scammers get ahead in life by cheating and manipulating others. And these, this is human nature from the playground all the way up to the halls of Congress. Don't, we don't want our children to admire and look up to bullies or scammers. And, and those are the obvious examples. Now, think of some stories in scripture. Look at the patriarchs. Look at Isaac and Rebekah's sons, the twin boys, Esau, and Jacob. Esau was basically a bully. Jacob was basically a scammer. If you think about it, if you know, their, their, take, take a look in the book of Genesis. One was a scammer and one was a bully and both of those boys were that way because of their God-given nature in a fallen world. Jacob was by nature a bully, I'm sorry, a scammer, and Esau was by nature a bully, but not entirely by nature, right? Because if you learn about their lives, what do you discover? That bully and that scammer, they were nurtured that way. Isaac and Rebekah made some bad parenting decisions. And so what made Esau Esau and what made Jacob Jacob was not only nature, it was nurture as well. And as those boys grew up, they had some hard lessons to learn because of their nature combined with their nurture. Their parents made bad choices and they made bad choices. Read all about it. Okay, those are the bad kinds of companions and associates and, and neighbors in the world that we don't want our young people to, to envy. Uh, but there, this is trickier to spot, the neutral kind of companion and associate um, and neighbor. The neutral kind of person is trickier to spot so for instance, Proverbs 18.24 says, a man of many companions may come to ruin. Translated more literally, someone with a lot of friends may hurt themselves by having too many friends. It's not that all the people in our lives are bad people, 
it's that they're not all good friends. You can't have a thousand friends. We're not wired that way. We maybe can know a hundred people well, studies say. So it's not that everybody in the world is a bad influence on you, but they can't all be your best friend forever. And so someone with too many companions, that may ruin a person. You know, what makes a kid popular in school or on the sports team or in the neighborhood? The, the qualities that a child possesses that makes them popular in a fallen world are not a good are not a good bag of tricks, okay? Uh, think about history, whether the Bible or, or whether human history, um, the crowds have always followed people of questionable character. The mobs have always obeyed people of questionable character, regardless of their credentials. And so we have to be aware of that as parents. Here is a bold parent that you can, Here's a bold prayer that you can pray as a parent for your child. It, you have to have courage to pray this way. Father, please do not let my kid become popular. I mean, Becky and I learned that from an older couple whose parenting we respected years ago, and we have prayed that for every single one of our children. Now, you don't want your kid to be the butt of everybody's jokes in school. I, I get that. But you pray, Lord, do not let my child become popular. It is one of the worst things that can happen to a child. Look at people who grow up who are at the top, the top athlete in their high school. Look at how they handle success in, when they get to college and they're at the top of a D1 school. And what happens when they get injured and can't play anymore? And what happens when they make it to the pros and things don't go well for them? And what happens when somebody is so talented in acting or singing that the entire world knows who they are? If somebody is going to develop notoriety in life, let that be the will of God who knows people intimately by nature and knows who can handle that and who can't. But the best thing we can do for our parents is say, Lord, if it was up to us, please don't let my child be popular. So there are neutral friends, and they're all over the place. And we have to be discerning over who is a true friend and who is just an acquaintance that really can't be a good friend. Okay, those are the false friends. Let's talk about true friends according to the Proverbs. True friends eventually reveal themselves from within the crowd. The true friend from within the crowd appears. Not suddenly, though. Proverbs 18.24 goes on to say that although many companions can bring ruin to a person, there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Kathleen Nielsen, in her study on the Proverbs, uh, defines friendship this way. And so here's another character. We, we're, we've, who are two, two characters in the Proverbs we met last week? One was the fool. Another was the simple person. Uh, meet the friend. Kathy Nielsen describes a friend as a person in the flesh who actually sticks by you and loves you along the pathway in joys and in adversity. Notice how she says a friend in the flesh. 21st century parents, we have a task before us. 21st century educators, 
We have a task before us that no one in human history has had to deal with before. Your children are connected to the entire world through the World Wide Web, through smartphones, these powerful devices that you can put inside your pocket that connect you with everything across the globe. Note that social media friends, social media followers are closer to what the Proverbs would label as companions, okay, not friends. And it's actually more ideal to have a true friend than a relative in a tight spot. Now, I'm not telling you this. I know some of you have very close relationships with your siblings and with your immediate families. I certainly have a very close relationship with my family and my extended family. Some of that's culture, family culture, ethnic culture. I get all that, and that's wonderful. The Proverbs actually say here that a true friend sticks closer than a brother, and what could that possibly mean? It means this. Sometimes family is not the best person to help you in a crisis because a family member brings their own family baggage into the problem with you. A family member is not truly objective. A family member is going to be biased, whether it's parent to child, sibling, aunts, uncles, whatever the case may be. A friend, a true friend, is going to bring more objectivity into the circumstance than a relative will have. Because relatives love you despite who you are. But a true friend loves you because of who you are. So, how do you find a friend and how do you know they're a true friend? And more to our purposes here, how do you find a friend for your kids, and how do you know they're true friends? Well, the friends that God provides actually require wisdom to recognize. It's not obvious at first. True friendship requires wisdom to discern. Proverbs uh, Proverbs 27, verse 6 Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. So we learn that a true friend can hurt in a helpful way. A true friend can hurt you in order to help you. And a true friend in conflict will refine you. A true friend, even in conflict with them, will actually make you a better person. And a true friend in your adversity will serve you. A true friend, when you're going through adversity, does not demand that you serve them. They don't even think that way. They serve you. And so, again, Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17, tells us that iron sharpens iron, and one person sharpens another. Men love to use this in the church. It's for everybody. It's for women also, and it's certainly for children. Iron sharpens iron. True friendships, therefore, require time. True friendships require mutual struggle. That's how you discover it's a true friend. It takes time to discern. And it takes adversity lived together. An acquaintance can make you laugh, and that's great. But a friend can make you wise. That's the difference. 
We need to help our children make good friend choices based upon the kind of friend described in the Proverbs. This is our model. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Iron sharpens iron. That is our model for true friendship. A true friend makes you a better person. A true friend helps you develop character even when you are in conflict with them, and especially when you suffer together. The child psychologist John Roseman, and this is 25 years ago in um, his book Teen Proofing, very, very helpful if you have children going through adolescence and you are, your world's now turned upside down and you're trying to figure out how do you do this while you keep your sanity. John Roseman, uh, he, he compares the terrible twos, which you've heard of, with the terrible tweens. The, uh, the tweens he describes as that, that sweet spot or that horrible spot uh, between childhood and adolescence, the tweens. He, he describes the terrible twos as the moment in a small child's life when the child realizes she is not the center of the universe. All right, when, when, a, when, a, when a toddler realizes I am not the center of my parents' constant attention, and the child throws a prolonged temper tantrum. It may be a six-month temper tantrum. It may be an entire year temper tantrum. It may begin when they're two. It may begin when they're three. But that's what it is. They realize, oh, I'm not the center of the universe, and they throw a fit. Um, he then goes on to describe the terrible tweens. This is interesting. He says, the terrible tweens are when a child's peer group is now more influential than you are. Now the child is taking cues from his friends and really doesn't want to listen to you anymore, doesn't want to be like you anymore, wants to be just like his friends. And, the terrible, and guess who has the temper tantrum now? It's you. The terrible tweens is when the parent throws a prolonged temper tantrum because the child is no longer looking up to the parent and thinks the parent is smart and thinks the parent is admirable. There's a point in a child's life where they say, I don't want to be like mommy or daddy anymore. And that's the terrible tweens, and usually it's the parent that throws the prolonged fit. And look, you cannot control outside influences. We can never remind our, ourselves this enough. We can't control bullies. We can't control schemers. We unfortunately cannot control predators. And we certainly cannot control the internet. So from a child's earliest days, you must nurture in them character over credentials. This is vital. You don't start this in the eighth grade. You don't start it when somebody is 12 or 15. You begin it, you start it right from the cradle. You take a child, you take a toddler, and you develop character over credentials. And this mentality will later reward you when your teenager is trying to navigate the, the world of friendships and, um, and, and sports and music and social media and all of that stuff. But you must begin 
helping them to navigate through all that. You must begin helping them to discern between foolishness and wisdom when they're five years old. If you want them to be able to, dis- to make good choices about their friends when they're 15, you have to begin helping them do that when they're five on the playground, where they won't figure it out on social media when, you know, in 10 to 12 years from now. And listen, becoming wise doesn't guarantee that you'll always make good friends. Becoming wise doesn't mean you're always going to have an abundance of true friends. I want you to think of the Apostle Paul, a very wise man who near the end of his life, while he was in prison, wrote to his true friend, Timothy, and said to him, Damas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. I mean, here's one of the wisest men of the New Testament who wrote half the New Testament near the end of his life. Think of all the aggregate wisdom Paul had acquired over years through suffering. And people were still deserting him. He discovered even in the end that people he thought were his true friends were nothing more than his acquaintances who gave up and deserted him when the going got really rough. But wisdom helps you see that someone is not a true friend. That's just as valuable to realize, you know what? I thought I had a best friend. In reality, I don't. It's a neighbor. It's a neighbor that I'm called to love, but they're not a best friend. And that is also wisdom, and it's just as valuable as being able to discover, ah, that's a relationship I really want to invest in. That's a relationship that I really enjoy. It's just as valuable to say, you know what? This is a relationship I have to put boundaries around. This is a relationship I need to learn how to love and serve in, but have to lower my expectations. That's wisdom. So God provides friendships that are discerned by wisdom because they take time. They take time to discover. And a lot of it comes through shared adversity. So ask yourself, what model of friendship are you demonstrating to young people? Some of you are teachers or administrators, some of you are parents, some of you are grandparents who are very involved in the lives of your grandchildren. Some of you are Sunday school teachers, we're so grateful. But what kind of model of friendship are you demonstrating to young people? Here's a couple of typical ways that people in this world develop friendships. Ask yourself, Do you look for friends who are easy to be friends with? What I mean by, do you choose your friendships based on who offers you the least path of resistance? People who are conflict avoiders like you are. Your friendship stays on the surface, it stays shallow, you don't go deep with each other, you avoid conflict and disagreements and arguments at any cost. You avoid truth together. You avoid difficulty together. Do you choose your friends based on what is easiest? If you do, you may be a poser. Or do you choose friendships based on who is advantageous, advantageous to befriend? Do you choose your friends based on who can protect you or who can promote you? who can help you get ahead in life or in a certain social group? Do you choose your friends based on what is advantageous 
for you. If you do, you may be a user. You may be using people. Or do you choose your friends based on relationships that enable you, that allow you to nurse your pride and make you feel really good about yourself, allow you to nurse your ego, even allow you to nurse your addictions, and maybe they have the same addiction, and maybe you enjoy that addiction or are enslaved to that addiction together, or maybe you are codependent and you find another codependent friend so that you can be codependent upon one another. Do you find friends that you can control? It's about the relationship that you can control. And you befriend people that you know how to control. Do you always have to save somebody else? And that's who your friends are. People that you can save. People that need you and you will never need to ask them for a thing. Is that how you develop friendships? And if that is, you may be an addict. And this is how the world develops friendships. Posers, users, and addicts. And let's be honest, we have all done this to one degree or another. And if this is how we choose our friends, I'm telling you, our kids will copy us. If this is what we do, if this is how we make friendships, our kids will watch, our kids will listen, and this is how our kids will make friends. And we will have made our calling to parent them even harder. We will have made our calling to teach them wisdom even harder. Because as they befriend posers and users and addicts, these human beings will make our jobs as parents even harder. You and I have to acknowledge that we have been simple in our friendship choices. We have been gullible in our friendship choices. You and I have to acknowledge that we have been foolish in our friendship choices. We have been unteachable and stubborn in our friendships. We have to acknowledge that first if we're going to teach our children wisdom in making these types of choices. And you know what? The best friendship that you could model for a child is the one that you have with God who calls himself the friend of everyone who lives by faith. You read in scripture, you see this amazing thing that God calls Abraham his friend. And, and that's repeated in the New Testament as well, that, that God can call somebody who trusts him by faith my friend. That is amazing. If, you've been, if, you've been, if you grew up in the church or you grew up in a Christian family, you probably have, like, like I have, taken that concept for granted. Ask other people. I mean, atheists have no cosmic friend to rely upon. To them, there's nothing out there. They can only pray to the great unknown. You want to pray to the great unknown? You want the great unknown to be your friend? Muslims certainly do not think like this, like God is their friend. Absolutely not. Even the Jews are extremely hesitant to call God their friend. But you know what? Jesus, the Son of God, became this Proverbs 18 friend who sticks closer than a brother. The night that Jesus was betrayed by one of his disciples, 
and would be executed on the, name, the, the, uh, the next day, read John 15 and how Jesus spoke to his friends. He said to them, greater love has no one than this. And here we have a definition of love, that someone lay down his life for his friends. He would go on to say to them in the very same conversation, no longer do I call you servants. This is a, this is a Jewish rabbi talking to his pupils saying, you're no longer my servants, you're my friends. You're my friends because I'm going to tell you everything my father in heaven has told me. The wisdom that I share with my heavenly father, I'm going to give to you. That was how Jesus defined his friendship with his disciples. And finally, and this is the big kicker, this is the most amazing thing of all, he said to them, you did not choose me, I chose you. In the context of friendship, this is incredible, because what kind of friends were they to Jesus? What kind of friend have you been to Jesus? And yet Jesus says, you didn't choose me. In the crowds, with all the Facebook followers, and all, all of your companions, and all of your neighbors, and all of your associates, and all of your acquaintances out there in the world, you didn't choose me. I wasn't desirable to you, Jesus says. I was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. I was spit on. I was not pleasant to behold. I was accounted among the transgressors. You didn't go looking for me. I chose you. That is the most amazing thing about how Jesus defines friendship with those who trust him by faith. You didn't choose me. I chose you. You could not choose me. You know why? Because in your sinful state, there is nothing about you that would want somebody like me. So no, I chose you. And then he died for them the very next day. And so that is the gospel, my friends, that Christ befriended the simple and Christ befriended the foolish to make them wise for salvation, to make them his best friends forever. And if parents and educators and counselors teach children Christ-like character, then we will help them choose better friends. And we will help them be better friends. If we focus on, if we focus on character over credentials and the character we are showing them is Jesus through his word and through our own words and through our own actions as we nurture them, regardless of their nature, as we nurture them to make good choices, if Jesus is the model of which we are pointing them to, then we will be helping them to choose better friends and we will help them to be better friends. Because true friends help one another glorify God because true friends help one another become wise. Godly friendship is godlike in nature. It hurts in order to heal and it sticks through adversity. So let's help our next generation make good friend choices based upon the kind of friend Jesus is. Let's pray. Jesus, what a friend for sinners. 
Jesus, lover of my soul. Friends may fail me, foes assail me. He, my Savior, makes me whole. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, what a friend. Saving, helping, keeping, loving. He is with us to the end. Jesus, you have been the true friend. Forgive us for never seeing it, but you have been a true friend, and you will remain a true friend. Help us to look to you, Father, as we navigate our own relationships. Help us to look to your Son, Father, as we try and teach our children wisdom. Father, give them character so that when people who they thought were their friends hurt them, they will learn to forgive. Give them character to learn how to befriend those who have nothing to give them back in return. Father, teach us how to be like Christ and in Christ to become wise. Amen.